All right. If you'll find your way back to where you started. If you got in here and did not get some sermon notes, uh, those are going to be important for you this morning. So uh, feel free, if you slipped up your hand, uh, Mike back there would love to run you some, or somebody back there has them. They will run them to you, and you will, uh, you will have them. Sometimes I just like to raise hands just to see them scatter in the back and move around. Well, I do thank you, uh, church, for giving me the last uh, about nine days. We were gone on vacation and got back. It was about 2,500 miles and uh, a lot of little things that we saw along the way. And, uh, I mean, with three kids and 2,500 miles, I mean, there wasn't a single squabble the whole time. It's just not true. (laughs) Not true. So I'd love to blame all the squabbles on my kids, but um, I feel like I instigated a few of them myself. So... Um, but we, uh, we, we felt refreshed. And you know how it goes. You come home from vacation, and what do you need? Uh, you need a vaca- right, vacation to recover. But I'm telling you, I, we got home about 4 o'clock yesterday, and I went to bed last night, and I've just been so energized to talk to you this morning and start this series that we're working through. And, uh, and so I, I'm, just, I'm just pumped about it. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. If you have your Bibles, remember, we're, we are a Bible-believing church. We're becoming a Bible-carrying church. So uh, if you have a Bible, if you own a Bible, bring it along with you each Sunday. I promise you we will always, always walk through the Bible. So uh, open up to Matthew 4.19. If you don't have one with us this morning, it will be on the screen for you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to take care of that for you and get you a Bible. We can do it as quick as this week. So if you do that, that would be awesome. I want to be up front with you on this. Um, this is a shift in some of our thinking. I'm going to tell you more about that in a little while now. But we're talking about disciple shift in the next four weeks. So the two words are very significant. On one hand, there's a shift in our thinking and how we do some of our our ministry-based things. On the other side, that word disciple will be so significant how it plays in and through everything we do. I'm going to tell you all about that the next four weeks. It's going to be good. I have this vision uh, of a church, even a church this, this size. There's churches bigger than us. There's churches smaller than us. That part is irrelevant. I have a vision of a church that is full, full of followers of Jesus Christ. That the defining characteristic would be that this is a group of people who are followers of Jesus Christ and how attractive that would be. I have the vision of that in our church and I have so enjoyed hearing the testimonies of your spiritual journeys as well over the last five and a half years. Now, that's kind of general though. I have a more specific vision of us doing the work of Jesus Christ. That's a little tougher. Doing the mission and the ministry and the work that Jesus set in front of us that we know through his gospels that he was a part of and he would do as well. You know, I have a vision that this group at Wendover Hills would be a people who are constantly displaying the hope of Jesus Christ for people around us. That we're not just content on saying, you know, I'll live out the Christian life and and through osmosis, maybe it will spread to somebody else. That's important too. But I mean, we would constantly be sharing the hope. And if we're like sitting here thinking, I'm not sure, like I'm just so into the hope that there's anything to share. I have a vision that that you will be. 
that God would so impact you in a way that there'd be nothing left to do than to go and share that hope of Jesus Christ with other people. You know, that, that's a little general. So I even more specifically have a, a vision that this group in sharing that hope would be a group that embraces, loves to verbally share the name of Jesus Christ. That, that you love talking to people about Jesus that you love when there's an opportunity to speak into their life or when they're struggling with something or you recognize an area where, man, their life would be so different if they had Christ, that you fall in love with, like, verbally putting that in. I'm not talking about accosting people. I'm not talking about, you know, just, just, just running them over steamroller with, with Jesus' name. I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, using the Bible as a weapon to just slash them, but following in love with actually sharing verbally the name and the hope of Jesus Christ. I have that. I've got this vision that a group of Wendover Hills here would fall in love with the disciplines of the faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? You would fall in love with the disciplines of the faith. Listen, I love losing weight and getting in shape. I don't enjoy always the disciplines that it takes to do those. Are you with me? I have a vision that, that this church would fall in love with the disciplines of the faith. That would mean that you fall in love with praying. That you, you spend that time in the morning to say, I'm not even starting my day without praying. I'm going to quit using the excuse that that's early in the morning, I got to get up for work, I got to... But you fall in love with praying, going before God and talking to him. That means if you don't do that at all right now and you add one minute a day, I mean, I don't know what percentage that is, I think it's infinity, um, that you added to your day, that's an incredible addition, that we'd fall in love with that. That we would get um, tired of the concept of owning this and not knowing this. Do you know what I'm talking about, church? That we would own the Bible, we would claim the Bible, but I really don't know the Bible. I'm not talking about memorizing every verse in there, but knowing this is God's word, this is what it teaches me, the disciplines of the faith. Fasting. That I would say, no, that's not just an ancient in the Bible thing, but to actually give something up, and every time I have this desire for it, I'm prompted to go before the Lord and to pray and to spend time with him, a discipline of the faith that's serving, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't just think, man, I, I work all week. I mean, I work 50 hours a week. I just want to come and relax and, you know, and chill out when it's church time. But we would fall in love with like serving in the kingdom, either in the church or through something outside of the church that you could plug into. I have this vision that we would put away excuses on why we don't tithe and why we don't give financially to the Lord and to his work. That's this vision that we have here. And so as we look at this, this vision, um, one more, I've got to say this one. I'm sorry, I was transitioning, but this vision that men when the Bible says the head of the family, that men would grab hold and understand that we're not talking about you get the rights to make the dinner selection that night, but that you have the responsibility of spiritually guiding your family in spiritual things. I have a vision that men would not just sit aside and let mom and the kids do that while you go earn a living, if that's how your family sets up, but that you would spiritually lead the way God says. And you know what God's word says? It is a hard road, men, to spiritually lead. But you don't have a choice. The Bible calls us to it, and I believe you can do it and do it well. How does this happen? It's really this word, discipleship. It's discipleship. 
in discipleship is becoming more and more like a disciple. So let me ask you a question. It's in your outline this morning. There's no right answer. It's not going to pop on the screen here. So you write whatever you want. The question is, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? What's a disciple? Go ahead. You can write it down. Whatever you'd like to write down. If you don't have a pen, I'm sure something popped into your head. What is a disciple of Jesus? Now, I imagine you had all kinds of answers that popped up, so we don't normally do this, but um, I think it'd be fun this morning. So anybody like bold enough, they'd say, I'll, I'll share what I just wrote down or what popped into my head. Just give me like two or three of that. Yeah. A student. Okay. Excellent. Anything else? Again, it's not a clear right or wrong answer here, so don't. A follower. Okay. Give me one more. What popped into your head? A servant, okay? Look, all of those accurate. In fact, if I went across and I took every single one of your answers, probably every single person in here wrote something down that I would go, honestly, I would go, uh-huh, yeah, that's good, that's it. That's part of, that, that's part of being a disciple. Yeah, that, that's it. I'm sure, like, I'm sure nobody wrote down here, amass the greatest, you know, sports car collection I can, I can get. Like, I'm sure nobody wrote down anything like that. The question is, what specifically then does God want a local church to do to develop disciples? And in order to do that, we have to get kind of specific in that definition. It's like this. If you came to me and said, hey, Tom, um, we want to win baseball games. What do we do? And I'd say, well, in general, you've got to score more runs than the other team. Most of the times you score more runs, you win, right? I, I mean... I think about 100% of the time. So you've got to score more runs, right? And you would say, yeah, I, Tom, we know that, but get, like, get specific for me. Get specific. Well, get more men on base, and then you can score more men, and then you can win a baseball game. And if they say, get more specific, and then you can see how these sports teams starts to rattle off these specific philosophies of how to score more runs if it's a baseball game or touchdowns if it's a football game and on and on and on and on goes. The question for us that we're going to ask over the next four weeks is what does discipleship look like at Wendover Hills in this local church? If we want to be deeper followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to fulfill the vision that I just walked through the first five minutes here, what does that look like? How, is, how are we going to make that happen? Well, in January, this, this started itching within me this year, and I started to process and to read and to study and get in God's Word and, and read some outside materials, and then we got to a point where we said, you know, we're going to start taking leaders through a, a curriculum and a material, and we're going to dialogue in small group style, and so we have two of those are actually going on. So I'm going to embarrass you for one quick second. If you're in one of those, um, some of them are down the hall helping, but if you're in one, will you stand up for a second for me? If you're walking through that material, yeah. Yeah, several of, of you in here. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. So it looks like this. It's a big old thick book. We've been walking through it and dialoguing about what does it mean to be a disciple and how does that look like at a church. You want to know what they've been learning the last uh, several weeks? doesn't matter if you do or not. I'm going to walk you through it this morning, all right? So unless you want to make a beeline for the door, you're going to get it in the next few minutes. It's on your paper. I want to walk you through the opening part of this, and this is basically defining what is a disciple. For Wendover Hills, in our discipleship process, what is a disciple? Here's a key verse. This is going to be a very significant verse for you. 
You remember you got your all-in t-shirts, right? We hand them out at the beginning of the year. You're all excited about it. I saw a lot of pictures flying across the, uh, the, the Facebook on them. I'm not seeing as many pictures fly now. But, but for Matthew 4.20 is right at the bottom. It says they left everything and followed him. That was our focus this year, our theme this year. We left everything to follow him. I want to introduce you, if you don't already know, to the verse that comes right before that. Matthew 4.19. It's in your outline. We'll talk about it every single week the next four weeks. Good one to have memorized. It says this, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. Will you just say it out loud with me? Will you walk it through? Read with me. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. Yeah, embed that in your head. So for the next few minutes here, I want to just walk you through this verse and how this breaks apart and how this discipleship shift works for us. This is our little happy guy this morning. Um, I'm going to use this as a model there. That's about as far as I got in art class uh, coming through. I think that's somewhere halfway through preschool. That's about as far as I got. So, but it'll work for our purposes this morning. It'll actually be, be really good uh, for us today. I want to walk through three components of this verse. Follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of people. The first one that he says there is, follow me. Follow me. Now, when somebody says, follow me, right, what are they asking you to do? Follow, like, go. Oh, okay, I'll go. You know, and that you just walk with them. Follow me. I'm telling you, for most of us, at some point in time, we have dumbly, blindly, and without any processing and thinking, followed something, right? Somebody said, hey, let's go, and, and we're, you know, we're ready to go. I sat in a 90-minute timeshare presentation, right? And do you know what happened in the 90 minutes? I, I don't know what happened. I just know I went out and purchasing something. But really, for 90 minutes, do you know what they really were saying in that presentation? Follow me. Follow me. This is a great product. Follow me. And if you have one, great. At that time in my life, it was not great. Um, but I followed. We do that at times. Jesus, though, is coming to his disciples here who are fishing, and he says, hey, follow me. Follow me. Now, there's some pretty good indication in this passage that these guys already had some form of relationship with Jesus. It's not like the first time Jesus popped up and he just said, hey, yo, follow me. And they like, yeah, we're with this dude. I mean, like they had some relationship, but Jesus was calling them to something different. He was saying, look, I know you guys are kind of, uh, you're kind of around me. You've come to my teachings. You've followed me a little bit to different places I've gone in this area. Now I want you to follow, follow me. I want you to really follow. Clearly in verse 20, when, he, when it says they left everything and followed, they understood that to mean this is a serious follow. This is not just a, oh, okay, where are we going? We're going across the street, get a soda. This is a serious follow. They had to make a decision right there. It's clear that the disciples probably had no clue what they were really in for. If Jesus had walked them through everything that was going to happen over the next three years of his public ministry, all the way up to the point of his crucifixion, and all the way further to the point of their own death for the sake of the gospel, they didn't know all that was coming down the pipeline. What they knew is they had a decision in front of them to follow or to not follow. They knew Jesus enough to know what he was about, kind of what he was offering. They had lived their own life, so they knew what that had to offer. 
And when they looked at those two things, Jesus said, hey, here's an option for you. Follow me. And we find that they did that. Do you know what we call this? We call this a commitment. A commitment level. That's what we're saying here is you're making a commitment. A commitment. When you purchase anything, you're making a commitment, right? And you give your money and you, you buy that item. It doesn't necessarily mean you are going to be passionate about that item for a long, long time. You just made a decision. Recently, two weeks ago, I got to do a wedding, and it was an awesome wedding, a girl that goes to my gym, so the Lord is opening up these doors of, of reaching people for Christ there. But I got to do a wedding, and you know, I, I did that, and later, after a honeymoon, I talked to her uh, just briefly uh, over Facebook, and I said, hey, I uh, just want to remind you, go, remember those things I talked about at the wedding? Just remember, I didn't put those in to make it just a beautiful wedding. Those are core, key things to sustain because, what I told her, you just made a commitment. That's really all you did. You made a commitment, a very, very serious commitment. But what happens from here on out is what what really, really matters. But for anything to play out, you have to make a commitment. You have to decide, this is what I'm going to do. We call this, really, the head level. That's what this is. Yeah, I always get nervous about spelling in front of you. Hopefully you have no teachers in here. Is that right? It's pretty close. It's got to be. It's got, it's got four or five of the right letters. So commitment, that's our head level. That, that's basically what we are deciding is we're deciding, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing. They're making a decision. In any discipleship, part of the definition is that you've got to make, you've got to make a head commitment level. I've been at many a camps where, uh, in teenagers, where the emotion really gets revving up. You know what I'm talking about? And, you know, last night at camp, I mean, the, 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 the preacher's bringing it, and, and he's talking, and, and, you know, girls start to cry, and, you know, and, and then the guys get a little weepy, and then it just gets so emotional, there's like this flood, and they all go forward. Can I tell you, as somebody who youth pastored for 16 years and came home with those, those children— very, very low percentage time did those weeping girls and crying boys, did that emotion ever carry into a significant relationship with Jesus Christ. But when I saw this commitment, this head knowledge, where they actually said, I'm making a choice to follow this. I see what Jesus has to offer. I see what my own life has to offer without Christ. I'm making a commitment to follow Now, don't get me wrong before I move on here. It's not that God doesn't use emotion. He uses emotion all the time for us, for his good, significant thing. But we have to make sure we make a commitment. And we know we're saying, I want to follow this. You know, before I move to the next one, can I just tell you, um, Christians, people have already made a, a decision to follow Christ. You've already, it's very easy to say, oh, well, I did that commitment head. I'm good. I move on from that. Every single day of our Christian journey, Jesus is calling us. He's asking us to follow him. Every day we have the decision to make commitments to him, to make head knowledge decisions, to say, I know what's right, I know what's not right, I know what brings life and hope, and I know what doesn't. What is my choice? What do I follow? I can reason it out right here. That's an aspect. That's a point of it. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 10, 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Now, Paul, the writer of that, is talking about salvation, making a first-time commitment to Jesus. The first step of any discipleship is becoming a Christian, knowing I surrendered my life to follow Jesus Christ, that I declared that he is the Lord. I believe that. That's the decision stage. A disciple knows who Christ is and makes a decision to follow. That's what we're talking about here. So let's look at this second one, uh, the second part of the verse. It says, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you, and I will make you. Now, I, I love this one because Jesus is talking pretty straightforward. Jesus says, I will make you. I will do something in you. I'm going to create in you. If you were to say, okay, I am going to go out and I'm going to make, doesn't matter what you're doing. Maybe you love to spin pottery. Um, I've spun them right off the, the wheel before. That's as far as I've ever gotten. Maybe you would just like doing that. You could go out and say, I'm going to make a jar, a vase. I'm going to make one of those kind of things. We understand what it is. It means you're going to go out there and you're going to actually manipulate something into something else. You are going to make that. Jesus says, he looks at us, follow me, make your decision, and then I will make you. Make you. See, what we're finding out here in this passage here is that Jesus is saying, I've got a work to do in your life. In fact, I, I love you so much that I'm not going to say, hey, follow me, and I'm like never going to build into you. I'm never going to work with you. I'm never going to help transform you. I'm going to work with you. I will make you. Here's a great thing about the passage, though. Jesus says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to speak to you. And I'm going to build you into something. We've been watching the Olympics all week, right? And a lot of times when the coaches are interviewed or, or when they, they talk to trainers or whatever it is, depending on the sport there, they'll say things like that, the little phrase of, you know, how are you able to make so much in that athlete? Um, when they came in, they, they just were not, I mean, they weren't even close to the world level. How were you able to develop that within them? And now, usually we get some really humble coaches and they won't, you know, just say, hey, it was all me. Um, but the truth is, they put together a program, they pushed and challenged, they spoke into, they said, yeah, one day, they said, no way, the next day, and they challenged them and the athlete became what they can be. Jesus says, I'll make you. I'll make you. I'll build into you. You'll still have some training and work to do, but I'm going to make you into something and transform you. I'm going to tell you, that's good news. Because some of you come to Jesus Christ, and your life is so broken and hurt when you came to Jesus Christ, that if that was all there was, and Jesus didn't have any, I make you after that, you'd have lasted about a day and a half in Christianity and said, how is this any different than what I was doing before? But the good news is that Jesus, I will make you. We call this transformation. It's transformation. Jesus says, I want to transform you. I want to make you into something new. I want to make you into something different. The, the Bible tells us that Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly or more life than we could ever dream of. Folks, that is just not an eternal verse. That's not just talking about heaven. One day we're going to go to heaven and we're going to live with God forever and it's going to be wonderful. That's a great message to share. People need to hear that. But that passage is talking about right here, right now when we come to know Jesus Christ. 
Jesus says, I'm going to transform your life. And when I transform your life, you're going to start to experience heaven on earth. You're going to start to experience my Holy Spirit in your life, living the way I designed you to live, and you're going to experience the joy that comes with that. Not only that, but you know what you're going to get? You're going to start to understand the purpose and mission on how you were, why you were created and why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus says, I will transform you. You know what we call this? We call this the heart level. I don't know where the heart is, but is it over there somewhere? I don't know. We'll just say heart. This is the transformation level. And it's the heart. And the reason we say the heart here is because how often do we say things like, I love you with all my heart? I put my whole heart into it. We understand what we mean. We don't mean I actually took, you know, this muscle and that, you know, I put that in there. And it's kind of a gross concept to say, I love you with all of this blood and stuff pumping through. Um, but we understand what we mean by that. I mean, the center and the core of who I am, I love you, or I put the core and who I am into. I put everything I had to offer into that, the heart. Jesus says, I want to transform this. I'm going to make this new. What you think is like the center of all your energy, effort, and passion, I'm going to come in and I'm going to transform that. I'm going to make it something amazing and something new here. So when you say, I love you, I love you, God, not with all my, just, just my head, not with all my reason and understanding, but there's like a drive in the core of my being because he's transformed me. He's transformed me, my heart, the center of who I am. Romans eight twenty nine says this, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Notice the passage says he chose us to become like his son, to become just like Jesus Christ. He wants to transform us into that, to become that. Now, again, the Olympics, you're watching it. How many of you in your living room, maybe your family went out of the room because you were a little embarrassed, but in your living room, like you started to mimic or act out one of the athletes in one of the sports that you, I mean, don't lie to me. Patrick, I know, okay, you were. So we're acting out, like when the weightlifting, I mean, I'm just doing all this, this stuff like this, and I know my kids kind of walk in and go, like, what? Like, what are you doing? Um, you know, like I found myself in the hotel room uh, on our vacation this week, like mimicking the steeplechase. Like what it would be like to jump off and go down into water, that would have been a hard one to explain if my family walked into the room. Um, well, me mimicking them doesn't exactly make me one of those athletes, but could you imagine maybe a master trainer working with me on how to do the right things? Maybe I wouldn't be the best in the world. I'd certainly do it better than I did in the hotel room. Jesus says, I want to transform you. I want to transform. You want to know about how to live the Christian life? Don't get out there and just try to do it on your own in your hotel room or somewhere where you're going to be embarrassed if your family walks in. Let me transform you, is what Jesus says. I will transform you inside and out. The line there to fill out is a disciple is being changed by Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you've been following Jesus the last 10, 12, 15 years, right? And you're sitting here and think, man, nothing has really changed in my life. Can I just tell you right now, you're not letting yourself be transformed by Jesus. The discipleship process is kind of halted in your life. 
I was having breakfast, really a late breakfast lunch with, with somebody not, not four or five weeks ago. They were struggling with something, and I asked. I just said, how long have you been a Christian? And they shared with me it had been going on 18 years, but really eight serious in their Christian life. I said, okay, so for the last eight years, let me just ask you, would you call yourself like just a passionate, driven after the Lord person? No, they said. I said, okay, would you describe like in your home, are you like, like the spiritual leader? Like, a, I mean, you're just driving the, the family spiritually. And they said, no. I, I know we don't like to use the word giant, but would you describe yourself kind of like a spiritual giant? Like, I mean, you're just a spiritual rock kind of person. No. Tell me about the last person you, you led to Jesus Christ. Last person you, you talked to and really talked to about salvation. No story to tell on that. And normally I'm not so bold, but the first thing that popped in my head, and I actually said it to him this time, was, why not? Why aren't you those things? If you've been serious about your Christianity the last eight years, and Jesus is in the business of saying, I will make you, I will transform you, then why are we not? I think we walk the road on our own without Jesus, and we only get so far where Jesus says, a disciple is being changed by me, by Christ. I'll change you. I'll transform you. If we had the time this morning, all you need to hear is a couple people sitting in this room right now walking up here and saying, if you're shaking your head inside and don't think it can change in your situation, don't think Jesus has anything to offer, let me tell you my story. I'm telling you, there's two or three people right here who could absolutely blow you away with their story, and they sit here praising the Lord uh, on Sundays and throughout the week with their life, and that wasn't always the case. Jesus is in the business of transforming. Finally, this, number three, this discipleship to be a disciple. Jesus uses this phrase, fisher of people, or fishers of men, your translation might say. Men in that context is never just males, it's people in general. Some of the translations will just go ahead and say that so you understand. Fishers of people here. Well, that's an interesting phrase. And as somebody who is not a very good uh, fisherman, um, I mean, I, I assume that's, I mean, the, the, all the data has shown that in my life, that um, I go out to the dock and I put everything together and I throw it out into the water and nothing seems to happen out there. If that's fishing, then I'm a good at fishing. But if it actually requires reeling in fish and bringing in fish, then, um, then I'm, I'm I guess I'm not very good at it. Um, so if you're not very good, you would probably tell me I'm already fishing. Um, but if you are good at it, you would say, no, you're just sitting on a dock, which is a lot what it feels like when I go out and fishing. But it's uh, just a little messier um, than, than when I'm just sitting there with a book. Jesus uses the phrase, I'll make you fisher of people. You know why he uses this? Is he's talking to fishermen. He's talking to these guys who are actually fishing and he says, look, you're out there fishing for, for fish. Literally, we're on the lake. You can see it. There's your nets. There's some fish here. I will make you fisher of people. It's perfect in the context Jesus is talking about. You're clever enough, whatever your context is, to right now write your own metaphor that's identical to what Jesus said to them. And Jesus says, I will, I will transform you and I will make you from that for yourself or for your own needs into the purpose and needs of the kingdom of God. I'll transform you. That's what he says. These ordinary fishermen, somewhat educated in the world, but certainly not in the classical sense, 
Jesus says, I'll take you. And what a ride it was for these guys. What a ride. I mean, that Jesus would actually turn to one of them and he would say, look, I'm the cornerstone. The church is going to be built off me and you're going to kick it into action, Peter. He would actually use one of these guys to go that way. That we would find that each of these guys, that he would send them out for significant ministry. And we get to read about that in the book of Acts. That's amazing that Jesus transformed them that way. And then what he's using here, what he's saying here in Fisher of People, is this word, ministry. He's basically saying here, I'm going to empower you to go do the ministry, the work of the kingdom. I'm going to go empower you and design you to be. And you're going to be able to go make it happen here. We call this the, the hands level. Whew, right up there. Or maybe the feet, if you want. It's been said, the hands and feet. What he's saying here is, I, I'm going to make you fisher of men. You're going to actually go out and you're going to put your hands to work and your feet to work for the kingdom. You know what's really being said here is Jesus is not saying, look, I want you to make a decision for me. I'm going to transform your heart. You're going to be this, like, you know, super Christian person who really is transforming. You're you're going to experience the life Jesus has to offer. And then down here, what I really want you to do after this happens, I want you to just hole up in your suburban community and just kind of live out life quietly with just your family. It's not what he says. There's no understanding of that in God's word at all. There is no understanding in just living out our life and doing what, you know, what we need to do or what we want to do or the phrase we like to, to say all the time, hey, you, you know, got to do what you need to do kind of thing. There's no understanding of that in scripture. Jesus, we commit. Jesus transforms our life into something new and better than we could ever imagine. Why? For the purpose of going out and sharing that with other people, doing the work of the kingdom with others. And that's why we talk about it so much at this church. I would rather somebody come to Wendover Hills to sit here and go, man, they really, they really kind of push to either be involved in service or to get out there and share our faith or to be a blessing to somebody else. Or, I mean, they really push that here. I really want to just go somewhere I can just sit and relax on Sunday mornings and not be pushed like this. Listen, I love you all, but it's probably better to find that location, though I wouldn't want to see any of you leave because we can't step off that message. It's what God challenges us to in his word to say, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son to the cross and you can make this commitment to follow me. And after you make this commitment, that's your, your decision. I'll take over and I will transform you into something incredible. And then you know the ultimate thing you get to do? You get to go out and actually serve the purpose and the mission You get to go out and do this for people in this world who have not yet made this kind of commitment. He uses you and I that way. That's amazing. Have you ever showed up somewhere to to just, you said, hey, I'll help, and you showed up somewhere, and you could tell you just really weren't needed? I mean, you were just kind of there, and maybe somebody said, hey, I don't move that stick, or you know, I don't know, bring me the pain out of the, you know, that kind of thing. But you could really feel like I wasn't really needed. When you went home, did you go, man, I am so energized to come back and be a part of that? No, because you didn't feel needed. You didn't feel needed. You know what God says? You're needed. I want you. Because when I bring my purpose and ministry into your life, and you get to go out and start to see that, and to to participate in that, you're going to feel a level of, of, 
of encouragement. You're going to feel a level of, of just that, that fulfillment that you'll never find on your own. That's what he's designed us for. Here's the sad place. Christians, really, many never get to this point where they allow Christ to transform them to the place where we can understand, man, there is an amazing purpose and mission I get to be a part of. We get a little more content in just saying, yeah, I made a commitment to follow Jesus. Yeah, I did that. That was at camp that one year. It was pretty awesome. Speaker, I can't remember his name, but I do remember going forward. We have that kind of story. But we never let the transformation happen, and we never launched out into the purpose. Can you understand when we're talking about disciple shift, how important it is for us to say, we've got to move all the way through this and let God send us out for his purpose. I want to make a confession to you. That actually, I want to read this verse first. Um, Luke 5, 10 through 11, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishers of people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I just love the line where Jesus says, don't be afraid. If he's transformed our heart and designed us into this and launched us into it, not a lot to be afraid about. A disciple here, to fill in this last blank, a disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. I used to have a phrase I would ask people, and um, I don't know, for some, some reason, as things do, you know, you forget and you stop saying it, but I used to ask Christian friends, how's your fruit? And when I say, how's your fruit, it, it basically meant, how's it going in you be living a fruitful Christian life? How's it going in you sharing Jesus with other people? Has anyone come to know the Lord because you had the opportunity to maybe speak into them or share your testimony in their life? How's your fruit? What does that look like in your life? Man, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to say, man, fruitless, fruitless. Because I know Jesus wants to transform me and launch me into this. I want to make a confession to you now. Um, I have lived and walked a, a kind of a messed up view of discipleship. This is, this is how I view discipleship. In the church context, even up to probably uh, you know, two years ago when, when God really started to speak to me about discipleship and my father-in-law had a, uh, a key role to play in that. But here's my, my concept. You come to the church. You like it. You plug in, Right? Yeah, you start to see a little bit of growth and building, you know, and maybe you become a Christian and you start to grow a little bit and you get in a small group and you start serving down the hall maybe in the kids or you go up to Lot and serve there. And, and so you, you, start, you start getting plugged in there. And then I start looking and go, wow, so-and-so is really tracking. You know, they became a Christian last year. We baptized them. They're going to that small group. Now there's, it's time to disciple them. We should now disciple them. And so I would take that person and try to find time in their schedule when we could do like a one-on-one time together where we would walk through some curriculum. And at the end of the curriculum, we could kind of declare, you are now discipled. I send you out and go, I don't know. I don't know what you go do, but go do whatever you're supposed to do after we're done with the curriculum. Honestly, I mean, that was kind of this concept, though I hadn't actually thought through it. But when I look back on the process, you know what God's word is saying? No. Discipleship is for everyone at any moment. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what the Bible says? His provenient grace, his grace that goes before salvation, is already speaking into your life. He's doing that through the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He's doing that through somebody you're getting to know here. 
He's, be, he's just doing it through the church service. He's trying to draw you to himself. You are being subtly discipled and you don't even know Jesus yet. He's drawing you to it. For those of you who have said yes to Jesus Christ, you've become a Christian. Several of you, I mean, we've prayed with and we've seen that happen recently here. You've made this head commitment. You know, right now, you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, you're new to the faith. There's a lot of stuff you don't even know about the faith. You don't even know God's word might say something or, you know, well, I mean, why do we even come to church and why do they do a couple of those weird things they do on Sunday morning and we start to disciple and teach you? Here's why we do this. Here's the impact. Here's what God's word has to say about this. And here's the reasons and the benefit it brings to our life. That happens right away. Now, the hardest part is the transformation level, right? When God is challenging you and we take a, you know, a couple steps forward and a step back and sometimes two steps back and one step forward and, and this process happens like that. Discipleship is so important in that process that you're continually empowered by God's word and by God's people here and challenged, push past it. Keep growing. Keep being transformed. You can do this. Christ has some incredible thing for you. And then down here, um, it's not a matter of just filling a time slot. Can I tell you right here down the hall, we have needs in our kids' ministry. And some of you work with kids all week, so it's kind of like, eh, I don't want to work with kids on the weekend. Um, but sometimes I've made the mistake of kind of telling you it that way. Hey, it's only an hour. You know, it's, it's just, it's an hour once a month. I mean, that's not that hard of a commitment. When in reality, you know what it really is? It's the opportunity for you to impact the life of a young kid for God's kingdom. This young kid down there, and I can remember a couple of them, even though I didn't grow up in church, but we popped in here and there, and I can remember a few faces. That's the impact you're having down the hall on these kids' lives. I'm telling you, when we start thinking about it this way and not filling a time slot, there's never a moment where, where we should have a problem filling time slots down the hall or having to double and triple up with some teachers in rooms because that's where God has led us to make an impact in people's lives. And some of you are just uniquely gifted to make an impact on people about this high. I like to come up to them and I like say, hey, how are you? Having a good day? Good. Okay. And, and then, I mean, I'm ready to... Okay. Go, I mean, where do you go now? Oh, it's not quite that bad. But I, I'm not as gifted as that. Some of you are incredibly gifted. God has called you to, a, to that as well. Can I just tell you, Wendover Hills, the day of that old discipleship thinking, get plugged in, get going, get active, and then when you really kind of like rise up and pop up on the radar screen, I say, hey, let's disciple. That day is dead at Wendover Hills. Can I tell you? You are all on the radar screen, myself included. That God has called every single one of us to be discipled, to keep growing in our disciple. If you've been a Christian for two months or a Christian for 20 years, you need to be discipled and you'd be grown up. And God's church is designed to do that, to challenge us in that way. Why? So he can send us out of these doors and make an impact in our world. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what does that look like at Wendover Hills. So let me walk you through this last thing and we'll be done. This last is just your self-evaluation. You don't have to do this right now. You can uh, do this on your own. Maybe take it to your personal devotion time this week. But let me ask you, at least walk you through the questions. Number one, follow me. Uh, am I somebody who follows Jesus? I mean, just ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Am I following Jesus? I don't know. Use that scale and make it a one to ten scale if you want down there. But just mark on there, how do you think you're doing in following Jesus? Second one is, and I'll make you, is Jesus changing me? Here's a great thing about your, your relationship with Jesus. You know. 
You know you and Jesus, you know what God and Jesus is challenging you to, what he spoke to you about. You you don't have to have confessed it to the pastor or your Christian friend, the person sitting next to you. Um, You you know. How are you doing with that? Are you letting him transform you? Have you said, yeah, I've got to deal with that in my life. I need to work on that here. I need to let Jesus show me that if I walk in obedience in this way, he will provide for me whatever it may be for you. And finally, fisher of men, am I committed to the mission of Jesus? Did you get caught up here or some way or partway in here and never get yourself to where you're committed to the mission of Jesus? Now, sometimes we can serve, you know, hey, we're doing a youth car wash and we'll go scrub a few windows and stuff. And that's awesome to serve. That's not necessarily what we're talking about, being committed to the mission of Jesus. Seeing other people's lives transformed by who Jesus Christ is. Are you committed to that? You're actually gifted in a way that I could never touch in sharing God's word and sharing his mission. And it's why Jesus needs you doing that in your context rather than me going and doing it there as well because I'll blow it. But in your context, you will be, you'll be super at it. How are you doing in that area? Tell you what I want to do is I want to pray for you uh, right now in this area. I want to pray for our next three weeks. Then I, I need to share a couple of announcements and then I'm going to dismiss you this morning. So let's bow and pray. Father, I believe that there are plenty of people sitting right here as you did with me in January who need to be challenged to rethink discipleship. They need to be, they need to be challenged to think about, am I being discipled? Am I growing in my Christian walk? Am I allowing somebody to speak into my life and help me through? And so, Father, this morning, I want to pray. And my prayer is bold, Lord. My prayer is that every single person that calls Wendover Hills home would be committed to discipleship in their life. Would be committed to this. Not in this vague, general sense out there that they would specifically be committed. And as we talk in a couple weeks about a, a plan, putting a plan in place in our lives so that we practically know what to do. But now's the point to say, I'm going to be committed to this, to be discipled, to be a Christian that's growing up, to say, Lord, I don't want to live 10 years in my Christian walk and say, nothing has changed. I'm not any deeper, I'm not any further down the road with you, Christ. So, Father, right here, would you solidify? If that's you, could you, just, could you just pray and do your business with God right now? You can do it quite simply. Say, God, God, I'm committing. This all makes sense to me. I'm committing to be discipled by you, God. I'm committed to being discipled in the context of Wendover Hills Church and to be built up. And I, I want to be committed, Lord, to growing you that I could realize the purpose and mission you have for my life. God will do it. It's promises. Father, I pray you would just inhabit every prayer that just went up to you. As we said earlier, you inhabit the praises. Would you do that now in the obedience that's going up to you right now? I thank you, Lord, and all that. I pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the next uh, two, three weeks, we'll be walking through the, the remainder of this. It's going to be a cool journey. And if you're like me, I start with kind of here's the, the vision, the concept to get excited about. But really quickly, I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Um, and we're going to walk all the way down the practical side. So these are, these are three key weeks to, to clear your schedule, be in church, 
and walk through this. Now, uh, let me just highlight a couple things that are going on. You know, we started our ice cream uh, Wednesday nights. We do that every August, all August long. We take every, a break from everything, our men's group, our, our youth groups, all that kind of stuff. And we just all gather and eat ice cream together. And so that's this Wednesday nights at Freddy's down in uh, off Wendover Avenue, which is kind of in the Palladium Center area. Um, so really the purpose, come enjoy one another, bring somebody who needs to know what a Christian family looks like, and that'll be happening out down there. So 7 o'clock or whenever you can get there this Wednesday night, great, great week uh, to join us and be a part of that. Now, two weeks out uh, from today, as we continue the discipleship, is we actually won't be here. We'll be at Church in the Grass, um, and that's down off East Chester. You're going to get a card on your way out. So if you come here that week at about 1030, You'll have to really blitz to get down to the park, uh, but, but still come. So uh, two weeks out, church in the grass. So what we're asking is, is if you would just bring a dish to share, side dish, something like that to share. We're going to do the burgers, the drinks. You bring a side dish, something to put on the table. And uh, you might want to bring a blanket, chairs, things like that to put in the park. This is such an easy invite to your friends, your coworkers, your family, whoever, for Church in the Grass. So please use that opportunity. You'll get a card. You use the card to give away however you want to do it. This afternoon at 4.30 is our second annual Wendy's Award. It's once a year. Why dress up in a tux and uh, hand out our volunteer awards. So if you have volunteered in any capacity, could have been one 15-minute shift at a youth car wash, that's okay. Anything you've done to serve from last year till today. Um, And I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute. So um, we want you to come today at 4.30 and enjoy that. If you're like, hey, I'm going to tear down some chairs today. Can I come? Yes, you can come. Um, Just ask one of us around for the address and we'll, we'll get you there this afternoon. On the bulletin. Very good. Efficient assistant pastor, Anson. Thank you. Um, So good. I know there's one more. I can't remember what it is. Oh, very good. Thank you. Um, Our starting point, our starting point is basically if you're new to our church and you're like, I want to know more about this church. What do they do? What's the mission of the church? Where they're going? Where they've been? On August 21st, it's right after church. We do child care. We give you some lunch. It's coming up pretty, uh, pretty soon here, which is just a week. Um, we'd love for you to, uh, to, to join that. So you could take your card that was on your, that I don't have up here. You could take your card and just write starting point on it or check the box. And, uh, and if you could just hand it to the Welcome Center, we would love to take that card and, and plug you into to starting point, which is next week. So sound good? All right. Are you excited about getting discipled? 